I am not a car guy. I appreciate cars. I've had the opportunity to ride in a a Porsche and a Corvette and some high-end luxury cars, but you do not want me under your hood. Simple things I can do. I can do an oil change. I can rotate my tires. I can do those sorts of things. But when I'm driving around town and I see that check engine light come on, it's dread. How much is this going to cost me? What is this going to do? And it's almost like I enter the five stages of grief. The first thing is denial. It can't be that bad. There's probably just something wrong with the computer. When I'm driving down the road and I shift gears and it feels like my engine's about to fall out, it'll get better on its own. And there's this stage of bargaining that I enter into. Car, I have treated you so well. Whenever it rains, you get a car wash. I allow all the fluids to be totally empty before I put them back up. How can you do this to me? And then it's anger. Stupid car. <laughs> what are you doing? Do you know how much money I put into you? And then it's the depression. Oh my goodness. I'm not going to be able to eat for a week. Whichever kid is bad, we'll sell that kid just so we can make sure we can pay for this car. And then it's the acceptance. Standing in the parking lot and recognizing my key is not making any difference and the ignition's not starting. Call the tow truck, take it into the shop. The dashboard on our cars tells us what's going on. How fast are we going? What RPM are we at? What's the internal temperature? But how often do we look at our internal dashboard? I so appreciate my family doctor. When I go in, he says, what can I do for you? What's taking place? But do we check in on ourselves? Do we have that regular time where we say, how is my relationship with others? How is my relationship with God? How am I doing with my finances? What's the dashboard in our own personal life? Over the next six weeks from now, until uh, the beginning of December, we're going to be going through a new sermon series called Leading Me, working with the God who's at work in us. If this theme sounds a little bit familiar, we did it way back uh, in the spring with Joshua as we were working through a book. Now we're going to be doing it through more of a topical series with Philippians 1 verse 6 being kind of that theme verse bringing us through these next few weeks, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And whether you're a Christian or whether you're exploring Christianity, you can look at yourself in the mirror and go, I know there's some personal growth that needs to be done. This might mean being a better friend. This might mean starting a more regular relationship with God. This might mean starting to give to the local church or being involved in the community in some way. A short commercial for you here. This sermon series came from a book that I was reading called Leading Me. And if you'd like to pick it up to learn a couple more principles or to see what the author has to say, you're more than welcome to pick this up at your favorite retailer. But back to our message. What kind of dashboard do we look at when there's nearly 1,200 chapters throughout the scriptures? 66 books written by more than 40 authors. How do we know what dashboard to look at? What if we found 11 words? Our mission statement here at the church, make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. And I think in these 11 short words, we're given four gauges that we can look at. The first gauge is this, growing character. Outside of the church, we might not hear the word disciple very much, so maybe it would be more helpful if we talked about the word apprentice. In the trades, you would expect a significant difference between a first-year plumber and a journeyman plumber. That first-year plumber could come in, he could fix your toilet, he could replace a sink, and that would be great. The journeyman comes in and he does it in half the time. It can also plumb your whole house. 
And it's the same thing with being a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus. I hope that I look more like Jesus today than I did five years ago. But being in my 30s, I also hope that this is not the best version of me that you see. That all of us in this room would grow in love, in wisdom, in patience, in kindness, and in understanding. I was talking to Pastor Mel uh, a few months ago, and I said, Mel, you've put together a great staff team. What do you look for when, someone, when we're hiring somebody? And maybe you're familiar with the three C's of hiring and character and chemistry and competency. And without missing a beat, Mel said to me, Dave, I look at for character. Character is first. Character trumps the rest. You might be incredibly good at what you do, but if your character stinks, then how do we know if we can rely on you? Is somebody teachable? Do they actually do what they're going through? Uh, what they say they're going to do? Can they work with the rest of the staff? Are they positive? Will they work hard to accomplish the task? Certainly competency is important, but character is the trump. Writing to a young pastor, the wise and well-seasoned apostle Paul tells Titus what he should look for. Listen carefully to these next few words from Titus chapter one. A leader must be blameless. The husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since a leader is entrusted with God's work. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Did anything stand out to you in those few verses? There's a list of 16 attributes. I scored it 14 for character, two for competency. Depending on where you put hospitality, I'll give you 13 to three. But overwhelmingly, the Apostle Paul, writing to this young pastor Titus, says to him, look for people of character. Yes, they have to know how to teach the Bible and to share it with others. But look for character. There's three passages of scripture that absolutely haunt me. If you want to take a guess and talk to me in the foyer, one's from Ezekiel, one's from James. The third, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth in chapter 11, and this is what he says. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, you haven't met Jesus, that's okay, you've met me. Watch me. Watch what I do. Watch what I say. Watch how I act. Watch how I interact with other people. And this haunts me. Because I take that verse incredibly seriously as one of your pastors. Do you not know how to act? Watch me in the foyer. Watch how I interact with my wife. Watch how I talk with other people. Listen to how I pray. See how I interact so that you might have a glimpse of what Jesus looks like. I love sports. My favorite sport is the NFL. And if you follow the NFL at all, you'll know that there's a wide receiver who is absolutely incredible. His name is Antonio Brown, arguably the best receiver in the NFL right now, certainly top five. Last year, he played on three different teams, the Oakland Raiders, the New England Patriots, and the Seattle Seahawks. None of them kept him for more than a couple weeks. Arguably the best receiver in the league, horrible character, and these teams wanted nothing to do with him. So let's go to the dashboard. 
How are you doing? Which of these words best describe your character? Are you defeated? Are you stuck? Are you struggling? Are you growing? Are you being transformed? Are you pure? What would you say is your best characteristic? Lean into that. Are you loving? Are you gracious? Are you patient? And then what would you say is a growth area? You know, this is an area my friends, my spouse, my significant other has said I really need to work on. And since we're going with a car theme today, what would you give yourself? A red, a yellow, or a green? Back to our mission statement. Make disciples who love God, who love people, and who serve the world. The longest book of the Bible is the book of Psalms. Some people call it the prayer book of Jesus. It contains 150 prayers that covers the whole spectrum of human emotion. There's this anger and frustration that there. There's also praise and thanksgiving. There's joy and confession. It contains the shortest chapter in the whole Bible. It contains the longest chapter of the whole Bible. And the longest chapter is Psalm 119. And the person who is the author is absolutely in love with God. I'm going to share a few verses from Psalm 119. Listen to the joy and the passion that this author has. Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. The law the psalmist is referring to is the first five books of the Bible. Often many of us skim through it pretty quickly. That was his whole scriptures. And he's passionately in love with it. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. My eyes stay open throughout the watches of the night that I might meditate on your promises. With every fiber of his body, the psalmist is crying out and sharing his love of God. So how do we cultivate this type of love for God for ourselves? I think it's great to start in a way in which we remind ourselves how much God loves us. And perhaps the most well-known verse in the entire Bible, John 3, 16, Jesus is speaking to one of the Jewish leaders and he says this to him, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. How much does the father love you? He sacrificed his one and only son. How much does Jesus love you? He loves you so much that he left the glory of heaven to come on a rescue mission. He came to earth. He lived a perfect and holy life. He was crucified on a cross, and he died the death that we deserve so that we might have the eternity that only he deserves. And how much does the Holy Spirit love you? Upon believing and committing your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. The Spirit of God dwells inside of you, convicting you of guilt and pointing you towards righteousness. 
We don't have to spend time with God. We get to spend time with God. We are invited to spend time with God. The one who created the world and everything in it is saying, I'm inviting you to have a personal relationship with me. Writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in this love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. How do you grow personally in your relationship with God? One of my friends talks about his four-legged prayer partner, and he takes, his, <clears throat> he takes his dog on a walk <clears throat> every day between supper and him going to bed. A couple friends I know say they listen to um, worship music while they get ready or re- listen to Right Now Media, which has lots of great talks on it. Perhaps you remember Pastor Mel's sermon series back in January called Base Camp and growing in our knowledge and our love of God. If you want to grow deeper in a personal relationship with God, we would love to connect with you, whether it's a staff member, whether it's your small group leader or a mature Christian. We know that there is this joy in growing deeper, but how do we do it? Three things. Pick a time, pick a place, pick a plan. When is the time that works best for you? Is it first thing in the morning as soon as you get up? Maybe it's after you drop the kids off at school. Maybe it's during your lunch hour. Maybe it's right before you go to bed. Pick a time and stick with it. Find a place. I remember being in about elementary school and my dad would get up at about 6, 6.30 a.m., which is when the best cartoons were on. So I would be up at the same time and dad, every single day, the same time, the same place, with his plan, would have a bowl of cereal and read the scriptures. Choose a plan. We have a handful of plans on our website, and if you've downloaded the app from Bible.com, there's literally thousands of plans to choose from. So, let's go to the back to the dashboard. How are we doing? Which of these words best describes your spiritual intimacy with God right now? Is it dry, distant, neglected? Is it real? Is it growing? Is it deep? Is it intimate? Are you intentional about growing in your relationship with God? Do you have a time, a place, and a plan? And then if you're taking notes, whether with pen or paper or with your phone, what would you give yourself? Is it time to stop and check this out? Are you moving slowly and cautionary? Or is it green light and smooth sailings? You know, I was thinking one of the good things about using the mission statement is that you are all going to have this memorized by the time the sermon is done. We exist here at Ellerslie to make disciples who love God, who love people, and who serve the world. I'm not saying loving God is easy, but he's not the one cutting us off in traffic. He's not the annoying neighbor having a really loud house party. He's not that annoying coworker or classmate. Sometimes that whole idea of relational integrity comes a little bit more difficult. We'll get to friends in a minute. But how do we interact with people who don't look like us, people who don't act like us, people who don't think like us, and people who don't vote like us? 
In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching a large crowd, and he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Therefore, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The early church faced intense persecution, but they were known by how well they loved others. Maybe you don't have a mortally sworn enemy like the characters do on some of my favorite sitcoms. Let's change the question then. Do you love the person who is right in front of you? How do you act in your car towards that really bad driver? If your neighbor throws loud house parties or is just a bad neighbor, how do you respond to that individual? To that annoying person at school or at work that people don't really like, how do you treat them? Every person we interact with is made in the image of God. Every time we pick up the phone, we respond to a text or an email, we talk to somebody in the foyer or the grocery store, we get to show them what the love of Christ looks like. One of the most remarkable acts of love I saw personally was at a previous uh, church environment and a couple people had picked me up for our, our church Christmas party. And it was stinking cold outside. Minus 30 before wind chill, and we were dressed up pretty nice. We were going to go to a nice restaurant and we were pulling out of High River towards a place in Okotoks and somebody was stuck on the side of the road with a flat tire. My friend Peter didn't even miss a beat, pulled over, he is a car guy, told her to hop in the back of our car, and there on the side of the road in late December with blowing wind and a horrific cold, he fixed that young lady's tire because he could help and she was right in front of him. Let me shift gears from loving people in general to loving those who are close, who are close to you. I had a transformative conversation on a bus ride back in January. I was at a conference, and one of the leaders in the conference and I were sitting side by side, and we were having this really regular conversation. Where do you live? What do you do? Tell me about your family. And I'm thinking, he's one of the leaders in this class. I should just ask him a deep question. So out of the blue, I said, Miller, tell me, one of the best spiritual insights you've had over the last two years. And he stopped Dave, do you have a close friend? Dave, do you have somebody that you can talk to about your marriage, about your work, about the things that are going on in your life, about your spiritual life? Do you have somebody that you can laugh with and talk to and just be? If Miller asked you that, what would you say? A recent study by YouGov, a polling firm and market research company, found that 30% of millennials say they feel lonely. And get this, 22% of millennials say they have zero friends. As a church staff, we work hard at creating groups. We have groups to explore Christianity, groups that are um, intense, deep discipleship moments. We have groups about money and parenting and how the scripture speaks into life. We have groups that are small. We have groups that are large. But we can't make you have friends. I wish I could say, Peter, you look like a really good guy. Here's another really good guy named Bob. You guys should just be friends together. That works for my six-year-old son on the playground. That doesn't work for adults. 
there comes a point where we have to step out of our comfort zone a little bit and say, hey, you want to grab coffee together? You seem like a really great person, and I'd love to get you to know you just a little bit better. For those of you who are regular members of Ellerslie, we come to church, and one of the best parts about church is the community. And we talk to our friends, and we laugh, and we catch up, and we ask how their kids are doing, and how work is going, and how things are taking place. But your friends are going to be here 10 minutes after the service ends. The person who is visiting might not be. Are we willing to go up to somebody we haven't met before and say, hey, I don't think we've met yet. How long have you been coming here? And get to know them and help that person feel as though they're engaged with what's taking place here at the church. One of my favorite verses on love in the entire scriptures is from Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. So how are you doing? Which of these words would best describe your relational intimacy with others? Are you disconnected? Are you frustrated? Are you stagnant? Or is there a support that's taking place? Are you growing deeper? Are you flourishing? Over the last six months, I have never spent so much time on the phone. <laughs> I'm reminded of my mom when I was growing up. My mom's name is Shirley Schmidt. Her best friend at the time when I was growing up was Sheila Sensition. And I think that's where my lisp started because they talked all the time. How are you doing at loving the person right in front of you? Have you recently connected with a good friend? PowerPoint didn't give me room to say it. Do you have friends that you are leading to Jesus? So again, with your notes or your phone, what would you give yourself on that traffic light? Dave, I don't have any friends. This is a good reminder. I need to take steps to doing that. Dave, I've got more acquaintances. They could maybe go deeper. Dave, I've got friends that I just love spending time with. Before we go back to the mission statement, do you have it memorized yet? We exist to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve others. In Mark chapter 10, we read of two brothers who are on the journey with Jesus. They're part of Jesus' disciples, and they're coming up to Jerusalem. It's been three years, and Jesus has just said to his 12 disciples, I'm going into Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. And so James and his brother John think to themselves, this is perfect time to ask the question. Jesus, if we ask you something, will you do whatever we ask? Jesus is smart enough to say, well, it depends. And James and John say, when you die and when we die, can one of us sit on your right hand and one of us sit on your left hand in glory? Think about what's just happened. They've spent three years with Jesus. They have seen a man who does not sin. They've grown closer to one another uh, and to Jesus in spiritual intimacy and relational integrity, but they don't get this whole service thing yet. How do you think the other 10 disciples felt? The scripture actually tells us they were not impressed. Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile lorded over them. 
and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become a great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ did not come to lord it over us, but to serve others. So how are you doing? I was recently talking with a missionary uh, friend of mine. He said he had just got back from South America, and he was talking to this young man who was doing incredible things in South America. Everywhere he went, churches were popping up, people were coming to faith, pastors were getting developed. And so my friend said to him, wow, you were an incredible leader. And the man got mad. And he goes, I am not a leader. I am a servant. I serve the churches. I serve the pastors. I serve these people. And my friend laughed and he said, I think we're saying the same thing, but in different ways. And so he agreed to be called a lead servant. How about you? How are you using your gifts, your talents, your experiences during this COVID season? And you might be thinking, David, it's tough right now. Well, let me give you some ideas. Inside the church, we still have a first impressions team. Inside the church, Kelsey and her team are doing great stuff with our kids' ministry. You could be part of the tool team, the tech team, the worship team. One of the things we're talking about as a staff is having online first impression hosts. We're not there yet, but maybe you'd like to be a part of that. And we're talking about having an outdoor bright lights. And if you serve at these special events, bright lights would probably be December 5th or 12th if it were to happen. It's one chance to get to meet a whole bunch of people. And you can just try it out. What about in your community? Could you bake some cookies for your neighbors? Would they be open to that during COVID? Can you serve at your local school? Can you be on your condo board? Could you coach a sports teams if they're happening right now? One of my friends volunteered to clean the mats at his gym twice a week. Maybe it's the perfect time to start a triad that David talked about on the announcements. To lead a small group. To say, I'm going to do Alpha out of my own house. I can do it on Zoom and I can invite five friends to join me. Before you start thinking about reasons you can't do something, I love these words from the Apostle Paul. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I recently stumbled onto a meme, and I find this incredibly comforting. When God put a calling on your life, he already factored in your stupidity. (laughs) I love this. Dave, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. If God has called you, he's already factored it in. What does this gauge look like? Which one of these words best describes how you're doing in regards to service? Are you a little bit selfish? You know what, Dave, I'm an introvert and I am in heaven right now. Are you a little bit reluctant? Are you using busy as an excuse? Or are you saying, you know what, I'm willing. Where can I be used in the church? Where's a way that I can be involved in my community? I'm just selfless. I am here, whatever you need. Are you being a good steward of your time, your gifts, and your talents? We're currently living in a culture where a lot of people are underemployed. Perhaps you're underusing yourself in the church or in the community or even at work. 
How are you equipping others for service? We're making disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. How are you doing? Dave, I'm not serving anywhere right now. You know what? I'm open to it. I like those ideas. I'm going to email somebody. I'm going to fill out a connect card. I'm going to think about a way to serve where I live. That would be great. Looking at the four gauges of your dashboard. How did you do? Was this a really encouraging sermon? You're thinking, it's all green. We're good to go. Let's motor down the highway. Was it pretty good? You know, there's a couple things in my character I probably want to work on, some relational stuff I know I need to fix up. But overall, excellent. Or was the last half hour just painful? Character, yellow, spiritual intimacy, red. Oh, wait, (laughs) I'm in church. Yellow, (laughs) relational integrity, hasn't been good. The dashboard is blanking and it's saying, pull over, stop. If this is you, please reach out. Maybe you have a great friend. Maybe you have a small group leader. Maybe you're connected with one of the pastors, staff members here. We would love to take you out for coffee or talk to you on Zoom or give you a phone call. Please connect with us. But I also have some really good news. I've talked about the Apostle Paul a few times. If you've never heard that name before, if that doesn't mean anything to you, the Apostle Paul hated Christians. In fact, he killed them and imprisoned them before Jesus radically transformed his heart. And listen to this in one of the letters he writes. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If your character is a mess right now, Jesus is, was, and always will be completely perfect because of his deep and perfect intimacy with God the Father. He came on a rescue mission because of his relational integrity to save everyone who would believe in him and said, I have not come to be served, but to serve the world and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is the Jesus we worship. This is the reason we make disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the challenge that we have. Thank you for our church leadership that put together this mission statement. And may it be a reminder for us to check those four gauges to see how it is we're doing. And thank you, Jesus, that even if and when we fall short, that you are the one that God looks at on our behalf, that you are the one who stands in the gap, that you are the one who continually encourages us, works with us, and moves with us forward. Please forgive us for where we have fallen short and fill us with your spirit to do great things for your glory, we pray. Amen.